0: Now we are finishing this morning a series uh, in Romans nine through 11 uh, called Unfailing and today we're gonna be talking about God's unfailing plan. Let me ask you this morning, are, are you a planner or are you more spontaneous? Who's, who are the planners in the room? I, you like to have things planned out. Hands raised, okay. You can put them down. Now, who is the spontaneous man? I just kind of like to go with the flow. Too many plans stress me out. Okay, the minority in the room here this morning. Now, here's the thing. Guess what God is? He's a planner. See, I, and that was a planner right there. that chimed, I guarantee you, because they're like, I told you so. I knew that God was a planner. We're on the right team, right? There's a difference, though, right, in God's plans and our plans. Our plans, sometimes we fall, we fail. They, we, they fall through. Things happen that aren't even our fault sometimes, and things don't go as planned. God's plans, though, they never fail. Things go according to plan for God. God is sovereign over his plans, and he's got a plan that he's working since before time began, and he is sure to accomplish his plans, but, but we, we know we, we're, we're different than that. And so we, it's hard for us sometimes to grasp that because in our personal experience, plans fail this weekend I planned to make gumbo okay and I succeeded in my plans and uh, but you know gumbo is kind of a complex process you got to chop up all these vegetables and and meat and all the stuff you're doing you have to have all that ready because it's got to go in all at the right time right so you can't be doing that as you go what I didn't plan was for my garbage disposal sink and stuff to like or my garbage disposal to mess up and then me to break my sink trying to fix my garbage disposal and for me to have to wait on eating gumbo and go to Lowe's instead, right? So I didn't plan on all that and, eating, and ended up eating gumbo at like 10 o'clock instead of like 8 o'clock or whatever. And so that was, that, that, that's, that's how our plans go sometimes though, right? Our plans, so you, you plan to whatever, have a great vacation, You didn't plan on the flat tire on the way there. Like our plans get derailed, but God's plans don't. Big difference in us and God. He is sovereign over his plans. We're not really sovereign over our plans, right? And so, but God is sovereign over his plans and his plans do not fail. And in Romans 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul has been writing here to the church at Rome showing us how God has not failed and that his promises have not failed. Last week we saw his gospel does not fail. We can fail to believe it or we can fail to share it, but man, his gospel saves and, and it will get to the ends of the earth. But today, Paul's going to answer a question about the people of God and God's plan for his people. Has God rejected his people? And in context here, he means Israel But he's going to answer that question by showing us God has a plan. Right, He has a plan that he's working. It even includes Israel, even today. So look with me at Romans chapter 11. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read some different sections um, to help us make sense of all this. We're going to kind of take a big picture view of this today as we talk about God's unfailing plan. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 7, and then I'm going to skip down and read verses 11 and 12. So it's on the screen for you if you don't um, have a copy with you today, but I'm reading from the ESV. So here we go. The Apostle Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, this is Elijah talking, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, in verses 8 and 9, he's quoting from the Old Testament to show that that hardening was prophesied about all the way back in the Old Testament. Skip down to verse 11. He says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, love this, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So Paul's answering here this question, he's dealing with this question of has God rejected his people, meaning Israel? As we've said the last two weeks, Paul is dealing in this section with this tension of the Messiah comes, and we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, prophesied about all the way through the Old Testament, yet the people who were the stewards of those promises, who had the law, who had the sacrifices, who had the promises of the Messiah, those people largely rejected him. And there's a tension there. If he's the Messiah, what's going on here? Has God rejected these people and just moved on to the Gentiles? What's exactly happening? And commentators and scholars will point out that Paul here is likely primarily addressing Gentiles in the audience. The Roman church was made up of of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and, and he's largely addressing the gentiles here because of this there was a tendency they believe in that day for the gentile christians to think of themselves as better than the jewish people it's kind of like god moved on from you to us and so look at us right now we're the chosen people right and he's he's kind of a gentle not not even so much gentle as you get into this rebuke to that and in so doing he reveals god's plan and what God is doing, and so in the grand scheme of time and salvation history. And so, three things to help us wrap our minds around this chapter three things to kind of get our hands on this plan. Number one, first thing we need to understand that it makes this whole chapter make sense is this God's plan is to save a people that contains both Jews and Gentiles. Now, there's a lot of detail in that, but that's kind of the big idea I want you to get in your mind. God has a plan to save for himself a people. We call that today the church, or you might hear it called the bride of Christ, the the people of God, the family of God. And that people will contain both Jews and Gentile. Now, everyone is Jewish or Gentile. If you're you're not familiar with this language, a Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're here today and you are not Jewish and you don't have any Jewish background, you're you're just, you're Gentile, right? And so, and then you've got the Jewish people, who, like we said, who were given these promises and were given the Old Testament and these sort of things, and, and God's people will contain both Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Messiah and who believe, and Gentile people who believe Jesus is the Messiah. It was never God's plan to only save Jewish people, and it's not God's plan today to only save Gentile people. God's plan includes people from all over the world it, his people are going to be real diverse in fact if you haven't read the news if you go read like revelation i believe it's chapter seven and it talks about one day we're going to be gathered around the throne and there are literally going to be people there from every tribe and every tongue there will not be a single people group that will not be represented around the throne of god the gospel is going to get there and god's going to save some people from everywhere from everywhere uh, god's people are going to be a diverse people but this people is a people that he saves he saves, and if God does it, it's, it's by grace. Verse 6, you see that there. If it's, he says it's by, if it's by grace, he's, they're chosen by grace, verse 5, and if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. You, you can't have by works and also be saved by grace. It doesn't work that way. Uh, We teach here, and the Bible teaches, New Testament teaches, and and Romans harps on this. We've said it over and over again in Romans. You're saved by grace through faith. And Paul here says, and if you add works in, it's no longer grace. You know, I'm not a huge water drinker. I've probably brought this up multiple times. I'm just not somebody that just wants to sit around and drink water. I have to, like, make myself drink water. Now, as a kid, I did love Kool-Aid. Um, I don't drink that a lot now, um, I, I, but I do, I, I do love the little crystal light packets, which is like the closest thing to adult Kool-Aid that you can get. And so I like, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll pour some of that in there, right, and drink some water, and it's like I'm drinking water, right? And, but no, that's not water. That's crystal light right? And if my kids said, hey, we want some water, but can we have Kool-Aid instead in place of the water? I would say, no, that's not water. See, that, that you've added, so it's no longer water. That's Kool-Aid. Once you put the sugar and the weird dyes and all that sort of stuff in it, and once you put the little, you know, probably poisonous crystallite light stuff, just kidding, but whatever that is in it that it does what it does, it's no, it's no longer pure water. And, and the moment you add Change the ingredient, right? You add an ingredient. Everything kind of changes. It's no longer what it was. It's transformed. The moment you add something to grace, like works and human effort, whether that be baptism or church membership or taking communion or whatever it may be, you add works to grace. It's no longer grace is what the Apostle Paul tells us here. God's people are saved by grace and grace is Christ doing for us what we can't do for ourselves it's God giving to us in Christ what we don't deserve the the cross is about grace about Christ in our place taking the punishment we deserve so that we can be saved from our sins dying in our place for our sins and so believers in Christ are people who come to the cross with empty hands empty hands and cling to the cross cling to Christ and Christ alone for salvation we can't come with full hands. That wouldn't be grace. It's God's pure, free grace. And God's people are a people saved by grace, not a people hedging their bet between the cross and their own self righteousness. And this saved by grace people has and still does include, first of all, let's talk about this Jewish people. Verses 1 through 6, Paul is pointing out that God has not totally rejected the Jewish people. He says, I'm an Israelite, I'm proof. He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I, I'm in Israel. Look, I'm, I'm saved, he's saying. I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And he points out how God has a remnant. And he's always worked this way. He uses Elijah, his example. Uh, back in, in the Old Testament, Elijah was a prophet. And man, so many of God's people at, during his time had turned their back on God and began to pursue Baal. And believed this this false idol called Baal was God and began to worship him. And Elijah became so discouraged that as he quotes Elijah here, he thought everybody, he was the only one left. It was just kind of during his moment of depression he went through that we looked at a few months ago. And he uh, he thought he was the only one left. And God says, man, I've kept a remnant. There are 7,000 people left like you who have not bowed the knee to Baal. My people, a remnant that I've kept back. And his point is, is that all the way through the Old Testament and even now, there's always a remnant. And Paul's saying, look, I'm part of the remnant now. There are people, we might not be the majority, but there are people like me who grew up in a Jewish home and were taught the Torah and were taught about the Messiah and were expected to him to come and all those sort of things and have the law and have the prophets and of the tribe of Benjamin and of the tribe of Judah and all these, and that believe Jesus is the Messiah. So God's not done with Israel He's not done with with Israel. In fact, Paul points out that God has used their failure largely to believe in Christ to open the door to the Gentiles. And now we see Gentiles from all over the world coming to the one true God through faith in Jesus Christ. Coming to Yahweh through faith in Christ. Many times in the New Testament, if, you walk, if you'll read Acts, for instance, and you see the Apostle Paul and other apostles going into a city, even Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, when they'd go into a city to preach, the first place they would usually go is the synagogue. And they would present the gospel to the Jews, because it goes to the Jew first, it says. And most of them would say, get out of here with that nonsense. We can't believe in a crucified Messiah. Now, there might be some that would believe. But the majority and usually the leaders, many of them, would reject. And then they would go over to the Gentiles and they'd go out in the marketplace and people would be saved in droves and they hear like, hey, you can come to Yahweh, the one true God that you've heard about and read the stories about and what he does for his people and how he protects them, splits the Red Sea and does all this powerful stuff. You can be one of his people too through simple faith in Christ. You don't have to go through all the rituals. You don't have to be circumcised and keep all the law and all that sort of stuff that was a little bit of an evangelistic deterrent. You just come through faith in Christ and they start coming in droves. And as commentators and Bible scholars will point out, if the Jewish people at that time, if these people in the synagogues would have said, yes, we believe Jesus in the Messiah, then it would have been their pleasure and their good doing and then go into their city and proclaim that gospel and see Gentiles come in because it's God's plan for both Jews and Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. But they typically rejected him in, in, in mass in, in large numbers and it went straight to the Gentiles. But God's not done with Israel. Look down at verses 13 through 15. Paul says, Now am I speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles? I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So Paul's pointing out God is using all these Gentiles coming to faith to make the Jewish people jealous. Think about it. They were seeing all these folks celebrating the Messiah that was promised to them and that came through their ancestry. Celebrating the fulfillment of the law that they loved. Paul says God works through all of this to ultimately win some of them to faith in Christ. And God has used their rejecting the gospel to reconcile people from all over the world to Christ. As the gospel just spreads like wildfire. So he says, what will their coming to God mean but life from the dead? Now, life from the dead, some people point out that that could mean the the resurrection at the end times. And we're going to talk here in a little bit about there's going to be an end times revival. Or it could just mean uh, the the future revival. And and that that is something Paul's going to point to. Look at what he says in verse 25 and 26 in Romans 11. So you're skipping down a little further. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, Gentile Christians, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Let's pause there. So Paul reveals a mystery. Israel has been partially hardened. It's partial, it's temporary. There are those like Paul who have trusted Jesus. It's not full, right? It's partial. And ultimately, many will come to Christ and they they need to come to Christ, right? Because we got to be clear. Only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. I've been asked that before. What happens to Jewish people today, talking about who practice the religion of Judaism, who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah? The same thing that happens to Gentiles who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. In eternity, separation from God forever. Everybody has to come to faith in Christ if they're to spend eternity with God. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Torah won't get you there. Religion won't get you there. Good works won't get you there. Jesus is on the way to heaven. But now remember, the Bible only shows us examples of God hardening those, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, who have already hardened themselves, like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart like five times, and then God finally hardens his heart. He's basically handing him over. Romans 1, where it talks about people, they go willfully into sin, rejecting God, and finally it says what? God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. So you don't want God? At some point, God says, okay. And he gives you over. And and so here's this picture we have here with, with many of these folks that were rejecting Christ as the Messiah. They've been left to their unbelief until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But notice that phrase, but all Israel will be saved. God's going to keep the promise he made to their forefathers. What does that mean? Well, God used the nation of Israel's largely rejection of Jesus as the Messiah to bring in Gentiles, and God is using the salvation now of Gentiles to ultimately bring in Israelites. And right now, there are Jewish people today coming to faith in Christ. You can, you can meet Messianic Jews and, and those who who, believe, who practice Judaism who said, you know what? Now we believe we understand Jesus as Messiah who have put their faith in Christ. Christ, they're not the majority of that, of that group obviously, but, but, that, but that those people do exist, there's a lot of those people, but there is coming a day toward the second coming of Christ where a great revival, I believe Paul is pointing to here, will see tons of Jewish people saved, tons of Jewish people saved. Mass, to the point as F.F. Bruce, the Bible scholar, points out, it's going to appear like like a national revival. So you'd make a statement like, "So like, all Israel saved." Doesn't mean like that every single Jewish person alive at that time will get saved necessarily. It just means that man, it'd be so many of them. It's going to be like national revival breaks out as they come to faith in Christ in huge amounts, a nation shaping, culture shaping, life changing, world quaking amount. So what we see is that. God saves both Jews and Gentiles and one day God is going to bring revival to the Israelites and many will come to Christ in droves. Some Bible scholars would point out like when you read the book of Revelation and you see the 144,000 with some false teachers turned into all kinds of weird stuff out there, um, that that is more than likely um, Jewish people who come to faith in Christ and, and become evangelists spreading the gospel. So depending on your view of revelations and things like that, that's what revelation and things like that, that's what some people um, would, would teach about that. But it's always been God's plan to save a diverse people containing both Jew and Gentile. And even today, anyone who puts their faith in Christ will be saved, whether Jew or Gentile. There's not somebody out there that 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 if they put their faith in Christ, God won't save them because they're too Gentile or too Jewish or whatever. That's just not true. The gospel's offered to all. But there, there is a great plan that God has for the Jewish people coming. But it's about, it's connected to Christ. And so the good thing about this, this chapter and this section is, is, is Paul is saying in a way, don't give up on the Jewish people. If you see people who, 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 who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, who practice Judaism, it's a, it's a reminder for us not to give up on anyone. That God is in the business of saving people, even people that we might say, man, I don't see how they, I mean, they're so steadfast in their unbelief that this isn't true. How in the world will they ever kind of, I'm telling you, you got people in your family like that, that you think, man, God's never going to save them. You're tempted to think that. People that you work with, God's never going to save that agnostic or that atheist or this or that, or that person that practices this other religion. Don't give up on them. You don't know who God's going to save because it's about God's grace, not about their works in the first place. Then you never know when God's grace is going to rock somebody's world, rock somebody's life. You never know when that moment that you pray for them for their salvation, that that next day is going to be the day they believe. You never, moment, never know the moment that you share the gospel with them might be the moment that they choose to believe. And it might be the 50th time you've shared your testimony or your story or the gospel with them. We don't know who God's going to save. All we know is that God saves people if they put their faith in Christ. He's in, and He's in the business of saving people that you might be tempted to rule out. Now, the second big part of this is we need to understand. So God's plans to save this people, right? It's going to contain both Jew and Gentile. Is that God's people are marked? This people that He's saving are marked by persevering faith. We talked last week about how we have to make the decision to either believe the gospel. Or we don't believe the gospel, right? Or we reject the gospel. We proclaim the gospel or we don't. We we can fail to believe, but God never fails to save those who believe. And so, but here he gives us a little more, he gets into in Romans 11, a little more characteristic nature of of saving faith, saving belief. He he reveals to us that it's a continuing faith, a, a forever faith, a persevering faith. Look at verse 17. And I'm going to read verse 17 through verse 19 of chapter 11. Paul says, But if some of the branches were broken off, now he's using here an analogy that we're going to talk about of an olive tree. He says, Some of the branches of this olive tree uh, get broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So Paul's giving a, an analogy here. He's giving an illustration here of this olive tree, and it's got natural branches. And then you graft in some unnatural branches, these wild olive shoots, and you graft it in, and it becomes a part of the tree so that it gets nourishment from the roots. And he's saying the Jewish people are like the natural branches, Right? They have the original promises from God made to Abraham and all that. And now, us Gentiles in Christ, we have been grafted in. Now, we're part of the promises. So here's Israel, natural branches. Here we are, the grafted in branches. And Paul's point is Gentile Christians should not be looking down their nose at Israel. He is warning against pride because God is the root in the analogy. We are merely branches dependent upon God. Whether Jew or Gentile in your background or whatever, we're all dependent upon God. Without faith in Christ, none of us are connected. And faith by its very nature recognizes and sees its need for God. We need to, as we come to Christ, we should grow in our humility and recognizing how much we need the Lord Jesus, how much we need God. God. Uh, We shouldn't feel more independent from God, but more dependent on God as we grow in Christ. And so he's warning them, don't you get puffed up with with pride. Look at verse 20. I'm going to read down to verse 23. He says, that is true. It's true that, that they were broken off and you've been grafted in. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. So, why were the natural branches broken off? Why did they fall away? They fell away and they're outside of Christ because of their falling, failing to believe in Christ. Unbelief. Uh, our failure to be in relationship with God's always on us. And so he says, he said, they failed to believe. Now, notice if they will not continue in unbelief, in other words, if they will believe the gospel, God will graft them in again. And we know. That happens all the time, and we know there's coming a day where a great, mighty number of them are going to be. Paul's already t- told us about is going to believe. And God's people, rather Jew or Gentile, are marked by a faith in Jesus Christ that is a continuing, persevering faith. So here you have a group of people who failed to believe. They didn't continue to believe and trust God. When the Messiah came, they reject him, right? So they fall away. And then he says, now, you look down your nose at them, but I'm telling you, if in the end you're not found trusting in Christ, you're, and you fall away, you're going to be lost too. Now, what's, what's he saying here? What's he saying? He, say, he says that you stand fast through faith, and this should promote fear, not pride. It should humble us before God. Because he says, if we fail to believe God, he won't spare us either. And notice he points out God's kindness and his sev- severity. God is loving and he's holy, right? He's just and he's forgiving. And he says we need to take note of both God's kindness and his severity. And those who fall and hear the unbelieving, they get severity. They get judgment. But believers get the kindness. They get his favor. But he says you've got to continue in it. If you continue in it, how do you continue in it? Well, it's very obvious in context. It's by faith. So the big point is this. Some people look at this text and they say, see, you can lose your salvation. See? See? You can fall away, get that branch lopped off, right? That's not at all what he's saying, though, in context. And there are places in the New Testament that if you don't take, to take the Bible and read it and then compare it to other places and see what God is doing, step back and see the big picture of how this all connects Jesus to Revelation, you just kind of read it on its own. You might walk away thinking a Christian can lose their salvation, Right? But at the end of the day, when you look at this in context of what he's saying here and in context of the rest of the New Testament, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Paul is saying here that true saving faith continues. It perseveres. It remains. In the end, it doesn't matter if you prayed a prayer and had a season of life where you looked like a believer and thought you were a believer even. If in the end you walk away, that only proves that you never really truly believed you were deceived. Because the same Bible that teaches whosoever will may come also teaches that you can be deceived. You can be. And many are. Jesus told a whole parable on this that we've talked about before, the parable of the soils. Well, we can look Christian for a while and in the end run away, fall away, reject Christ. And what that shows is there was a problem from the beginning. Saving faith is lasting faith, not flash in the pan. It's a new posture of trusting Christ that continues. It's a permanent posture, not just a moment of clarity. It's a permanent posture. And God's, it's God's grace that enables us to continue in faith. See, we hold on to Jesus because Jesus is holding on to us. Jesus' grasp of you manifests itself in you grasping of him, okay? But it's him that holds on to us. I love this quote from R.C. Sproul, uh, the late great R.C. Sproul, uh, who pastored a church right here in our area. He said this, we are secure, Christian not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. If it was all, listen, if I could lose it, I'd have lost it. If I could forfeit it, I would already have forfeited it. God's got a hold on me. Listen to John 10. Jesus said this. He told a story. He said in John 10, 28 through 30, this is where he's calling himself the, the good shepherd. And he says, I give them, his sheep, I give them eternal life. And he says, they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He says, I and the Father are one. So think about that verse. You're in Jesus' hand, believer. You're in the Father's hand, right? And they are one. So your salvation is protected by the strong hand of God. Now, I've got kids, and I can put a quarter in my hand, and my six-year-old, my four-year-old, certainly my one-year-old, none of them are going to get that quarter out of my hand because what? I'm just way too much stronger than they are. That won't always be the case, but right now, I can keep that quarter away. And if I put two hands, they ain't got a shot, right? And and Jesus has given us a picture here of almighty, infinite God holding secure our salvation. Our, Our salvation is protected by the strong hand of God. Now, some people say, oh, yeah, you can't lose it that way. Like, God won't fail you, but you can walk away and lose it that way. You can jump out of his hand, right? You can bite God maybe on the knuckle and he'll let go, right, or something like that. It's almost the, the way people view this. Well, let me take you to Hebrews 3 because the Bible does say people walk away from Christianity. But the way the Bible explains is that it proves that there was a problem from the very beginning with their faith, that it was defective. In Hebrews 3, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, okay, evil, unbelieving heart, and it leads somewhere, leading you to fall away from the living God. So when someone falls away from the living, living God, the problem is, is there's an evil, unbelieving heart that led them there. And salvation is getting a new heart that believes. This is a, someone who who's never converted. Or listen to Jesus in Matthew 7 when he talks about people standing before him who did mighty works and who did miracles and preached in his name, but they're gonna, they're gonna be lost for eternity. And he doesn't say, get, get out of here. I stopped knowing you. Get out of here. You used to be one of mine, but you fell away. No, he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. They didn't lose their salvation, they never had it. It's like this you know, you can't lose your salvation, but you can prove that you were never saved. That can happen to us, to our loved ones. It's like, um, I remember several years ago, one of the tire companies out there, I forget which one it was, so I don't want to, you know, put somebody on blast that it wasn't them, but they had this uh, problem with their tires, and people were having, like, blowouts and wrecks, and they had to do a recall on all these tires. It like, I mean, it was really bad business, and so, because, you know, people just be driving down the road, and boom, blowout, whatever, and they're in a wreck. And, right, so they're getting sued, all this sort of stuff. They had to do this massive recall, all right? And so we could look at that and go, oh, well, you know, if you wouldn't have driven so rough, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Well, no, I was just doing, doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. There was a flaw with the tires. So sometimes we look at someone's life, and they, and they fall away, and they reject Christ, and they say, "I mean, I, I used to think I believed all that stuff, but I don't believe it anymore. And they go the other way, and they never come back. And the temptation is to look at that and say, well, They went through that, and that's why they don't trust God anymore. They stopped believing in Jesus because this happened. It's like, no, see, there was a a defect. There was like a recall. There was a defect from the very beginning, and that exposed it. That exposed it. The trial, man, it even brings you closer to Jesus, or it causes you to fall away right? And when and, and we see people like that and they walk away, it seems like from what they believe, you say, what are we supposed to do? You're supposed to pray for them, share with them, and hope to God they come back. We don't know if their rejection's final. We pray to God that they come back. But he said, he said listen, if you, fail, if, you, if you just walk away, you stop believing, he says, you're, you're going to prove yourself lost too. We had a flaw from the start. Like great Adrian Rogers used to say the faith that had a uh, the, the, how say? the great the faith that finish, fini, that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first, right? And that's still true today. <laughs> the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. Paul's point in all of this is he's saying to these Gentile Christians in Rome and to us cling to Jesus. And by faith, believe he's clinging to you. And the only way you can hold on to him is his grasp of you. Stay close, trust him, follow him. As he would say to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Don't be deceived. See, all of God's people will be found clinging to Jesus in the end because Jesus, the Father, is clinging to them. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Father's got you in his hand. Jesus has got you in his hand. Your salvation is secured. But... Saving faith is continuing, persevering faith. It has that characteristic about it. The final thing here I want you to get about this plan is, number three, God's plan should evoke worship from his people. It's supposed to make us worship. When we step back and we read this, and this is what Paul does. He gets to the end here of this Difficult section of scripture in Romans 9 through 11. And and he erupts in worship when he gets to the end. Look at verses 30 through 32. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that that the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's what Paul does when he gets to the end of all this. He sums it up in verses 30 through 32, this idea of mercy. It's all about mercy. And, and at the end of the day God is able to look at all of humanity Back where we were in chapter 3 And say Jewish people, Gentile people Doesn't matter your background You need grace, you need mercy You're undeserving of salvation And then he, he chooses He, he saves people, he has mercy On Jew and Gentile, all those who come to faith in Christ So if you're here today And you've ever felt unworthy to be in God's family Or counted among his people You're, you're in good company, we're all unworthy And you're a great candidate for the kingdom of God because that's where it starts, is understanding that. But Paul, as Paul ponders this, this mercy and grace that God shows to save a people because none of us deserve it, he just erupts in worship. He, he's really, he's, he's just blown away at God's wisdom, his knowledge, his judgments, his ways. He's just, man, he's just looking at God and his, his plan and he's just going, wow. Wow. To him be the Glory. It's amazing to me that some people can read the Bible and walk away proud or walk away thinking, I've got it all figured out. It's actually, if we really know it, the more we know it, it's humbling, right? But if we think we all got it figured out, Corinthians is right, knowledge puffs up. And we think we know it all. We get a little. We get a little proud. But man, it's supposed to humble us and make us look at God and just worship and go, "Wow!" I could. It's beyond what we could possibly imagine how God is working all things to accomplish His purpose and His plan. Listen, you are made to to just wow at God. That's like why you're here. <laughs> it's to just behold God, His truth, and just and just give Him praise and to give Him glory and to just go, "Wow!" and look, we love to we, we it's just in human nature that we like to wow at stuff. I've I've mentioned this before, like I love sports, right? So I watch the sports, you watch the Olympics, and I see somebody do something I can never do, and what do we say? We say wow, right? I can never do Three flips in the air, land on ice or whatever, you know? It's amazing, right? Or I can watch something as basic as baseball that I've played my whole life, and I can watch some dude throw a 100-mile-an-hour rope from right field to home plate and get somebody out, and I can go, wow, right? I can watch a running back hurdle over somebody and jump four or five feet in the air and go, wow, right? And we just go, wow, You say, I don't like sports. Okay, I can go over on the West Coast this evening in in Clearwater, Florida, and I can stand on the shoreline and I can watch the sunset and I can promise you the response will be, wow. Because see, we're 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 made for that. We want to do that. But we're made to be aimed at our creator, our savior, the one who has redeemed us. And the thing about him that should make us go wow more than anything And the thing that's going to make us go wow for all of eternity is His grace and mercy. That He looked at sinful people like us and He brought us into His family. And He showed us grace and mercy in Christ. That He, that in Christ, He he took for us what we deserve, so that we can have what we don't deserve. And for all of eternity, we won't get over that. It's 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 what we call amazing grace. And we should never lose our sense of being wowed by God's grace. Because I'm telling you, when you do, you'll stop sharing it. If you've gotten over Him saving you, you're not getting into Him saving somebody else. It's just not happening. And so you want to cultivate a heart for evangelism? I mean, Paul never got over it. Jew, Gentile, he didn't care, man. He's like a crazy man going into cities, storming into synagogues, going into the marketplace, repent, believe. The good news is here. Jesus died for you. He's preaching the gospel. People. Are, he never got But man, Over and over, you read his story in Acts, he keeps telling his story. It's like, I've already read your testimony, Paul. I get over and Luke tells it again because everywhere Paul goes, he's telling his story. Because a key to fueling our telling people about Jesus is us not getting over what Jesus has done for us. And Paul never got over that. Just that sense of wow at God's grace and God's mercy. So let me ask you this morning. First of all, if you don't know Christ today and you say, I would like to be a part of God's people, how does that happen? recognize that you are in need of his grace, that you are a sinner like the rest of us. Turn, Be willing to turn away from that sin and believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God, the sent one, the anointed one, who lived the sinless life that you could not live and died the death on the cross you deserve to die, taking your punishment for your sin from a just and holy God. That he rose from the dead in victory over sin, death, and hell. And put all your chips in that basket. Put all your eggs in that basket. and go all in on Jesus and say, the only way I'm getting to heaven is if Jesus gets me there. I'm trusting him. Empty-handed I come. To the cross I cling. My only hope is that you come to him by faith and he will save you. He will save you. And you'll be a part of the family of God. And if you're a believer today, my question for you is, have you lost that sense of wow a little bit? When you read the Bible and you don't understand some things and it's kind of hard, that you just kind of go, wow, man, God is just so amazing that he is working in a way that I can't even fully comprehend. Or you look at your conversion and the fact that he's brought you into the family of God, are you still wowed by his grace? And if you've grown cold in that, I, I, would, I would urge you to call out to God and pray and ask God, say, God, help me to recapture that sense of, wow, to God be the glory. Because that's Fuel for our evangelism. Let's pray.